Hello everyone and welcome to Off The Block Swimming Podcast Season Number 4. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today wherever you are right now in this crazy world. I am your host, Robbie Cox. Now before we get into today's very special guest, I just wanted to let all our loyal listeners out there know that we have started our own line of merchandise for the podcast, now on sale right now. The original tees are out there. It's the OTB Crew line. Uh, we have many, many other clothing items coming your way, including hoodies, singlets, even socks. But for right now, we have the OTB Crew original tee available for purchase on our website. So please make sure you click on the link tree in our bio. Follow that link to our website to purchase yours today as well as being an awesome t-shirt which it definitely is it's equally as important because it's another way to support the podcast that you guys are loving each and every week we deliver all over the world so yes even our listeners in the usa or the uk can get their hands on some merch so what are you waiting for Jump on our Insta page right now, follow the link tree to our website and purchase an OTB Crew original tea today to become a part of the crew. But that's it. It's enough selling for one show. It's time to crack on with the show. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Today on the show is a man who has done it all when it comes to coaching in the pool, having mentored and guided athletes to Olympic world champs and Com Games gold. Now back coaching at the AIS as the head coach of the ACT Performance Hub. It's a massive welcome to the show to Mr. Shannon Rollison. Mate, how are you going? Well, as good as can be in lockdown, Robbie. Yourself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, as good as can be in lockdown, that's for sure. Well, mate, that's why we, we do all these podcasts and chat to each other, isn't it? So to keep ourselves sane. Yeah, definitely. I've been out um, on gardening leave for the last, what, uh, nearly three weeks now. Haven't yeah. got much of a garden left. <laughs> Are you much of a garden hand, mate? Do you, do you go all right outside? Uh, to a point, Um I've managed to kill my grass, though. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, every spring I send uh, I send a picture of, of of the backyard lawn to my mum, but she won't be getting one this spring. <laughs> uh, oh man! I got I... some I got some some weed killer, and uh, I put it on, and then I I think I was yeah it was just before we went to uh, up into the Olympic camp. Yeah. And uh, came back like two weeks later and I thought, oh, it's working because I've been trying to kill this, this <laughs> grass that's in amongst my good grass for years now. So I hit it again. Well, yeah, <laughs> now I've killed everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, you're definitely uh, resonating with me. My, my front lawn is horrible and the, the, the bloody, you know, flowers and plants outside are dying as well, so... 
Oh, I feel you, mate. It's it's you know I'm not a horticulturalist, that's for sure. Now you mentioned there the the Olympic camp, mate, and congratulations on on helping get Jess Hansen onto the Olympic team. You must have been pretty happy with the Aussies' performances overall in Tokyo. And Jess, yeah, it was great. Um, the uh, yeah, when you look behind, it was such a, a bumpy road getting the team there with shutdowns and uh, you know and everyone's had that experience with their programs and coaching over the last 12 to 18 months. Um, but just the amount of times that people have had to shift their plan. Um, and even when we, we were uh, up in Brisbane, you know, I was supposed to be there for two weeks and, um, you know, one week in got a phone call and they said, um, Oh, yeah, we've got to get you up into Cairns. So we're going to have to, move do you want to go up this afternoon or tomorrow morning uh, I said I oh, will go tomorrow morning and two hours later I get a phone call uh, you're on a flight in, in you know this was like two in the afternoon you're on a flight uh, at four o'clock you've got to be at the airport in an hour you know yeah so Amazing. um so yeah with all of that and then the results of, at the Olympics you know it was a great effort by everybody and um you know the Aussies went fantastically well so yeah, it was good. What were those training camps like? Just give us an insight. So obviously from the outsider looking in, you know, the Aussie team looked very tight-knit, looked like a, a really good team culture that's obviously been built, you know, through through the coaches, hard work, the swimmers and, and head coach Rowan Taylor. And there's been a lot of event camps and stuff like that. How was that staging camp before they left? Yeah, it was really good. Um, you know, like it's – the last time I was on an Aussie team – uh, it was London 2012, and um, yeah, and then I went overseas. So for me, coming in, it's it's been nearly a decade, and there's definitely a, a shift. Uh, you know, everyone's quite relaxed. Um, everyone's interested in what other people are doing. Um, probably, yeah, yeah. I just think it was it was a really good vibe. Um, it's hard to describe what it's been in the past. And, you know, I was on teams in the 90s through, and then, you know, the, I was at the noughties and stuff. And, yeah, it's just different. And whether me getting older is seeing it in a different light or not, um, but um, I, I thought it was really good. Yeah, really relaxed. What, what you'd want going into a major meet. Yeah, well, definitely the results speak for themselves. So, uh, congratulations to, to all of the Aussie team and, and everybody involved. Now, mate, we're here today to chat about something that uh, is very synonymous with you, which is planning, uh, you know, programming and reverse periodization. Before we get into that, though, why do you think all these years on people still have you as the face of reverse periodization? Now, I'm sure you've planned and programmed things in other ways since. Obviously, it was very successful, the, you know, the way you, you did it and the way you planned towards 2004. But why do you think you're still synonymous with reverse periodization? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, it's actually, like, it went away for a fair while, you know, you know and, um, and I've been asked more about it, you know, probably in the last five, six years, um, certainly when I went overseas and stuff. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it goes with coaching. You, you constantly, you know, I think uh, Laurie Lawrence once said, um, you know, do you know what happens to 
statues. Uh, and everyone looked at each other and, and he said, pigeons shit on them, you know. <laughs> and um, so in coaching, you've got to be constantly moving forward. And um, another uh, famous coach, Don Talbot, once said to me, everything comes around. You know, so maybe 20 years on, everything's come around. But um, probably I think you know, it had a big impact because up until sort of, you know, well, definitely up until 2004, um, you know, people are just weren't even trying to get sprinters in, in Australia, particularly in the female ranks. Um, so, you know, and it was what, 1964, it was like 40 years since, you know, between Jody and Dawn. And Dawn, yep. Uh, and then the relay was even greater. I think it was like 48 years between the relay successes. So, um, and then we've just had a, a fantastic run since. So um, I, I think it definitely definitely changed people's mindsets. Um, so yeah, and then we, we've just continued on with great success since. Yeah, well, mate, for a lot of people, me included, you're as I said, the face of of that you know reverse periodization, and I'm learning through you. Where did you first learn about this, and and where how did this concept appeal to you? Where how did you sort of come around to the idea that you know let let's let's have a crack at this. Um, yeah, so so started talking about it. Well, not we didn't even you know give it that name. Um, started, you know, I had always had an interest in athletics and um, and ran a bit at school and was big fan of you know the Olympics and, and the hundred meters and stuff like that. And I was Tim Carrison had started working with me in '97 and he'd come from. Uh, rowing he had a rowing background and we were just chatting one day um, and back then you know from a squad point of view I was on Australian teams um, I had swimmers on Australian teams but it was a real licorice all sort type program um, and uh, you know I, I said to Tim when, when when do like the sprint guys you know the Carl Lewis's of the world uh, in America when, when do they do all their speed work and he came back you know, sometime later and said, oh, they do it off the back of a major meet. And um, anyway, we sort of tossed that idea around and then, and then I looked at what the rowing guys did. And um, I had a swimmer, uh, Julia Ham, who she was actually my first state champion over coached. Um, uh, that was back in 94. And um, she was on, she made a couple of Australian teams. Anyway, she left the program and went to the QAS program with Scott Volkers and Stefan Widmer and went there for about, uh, about 15 months. And in that period, that was when we started talking at 97, 98 about this reverse periodization. And um, anyways, uh, about 15 months later, she came back and, um, and what we'd seen was she just lost all the speed and a uh, 50 meter type speed. And um, so she was sort of, I rolled it out with her um, and uh, not throughout the whole program. So then um, and she went, uh, certainly we, we made some very big shifts. Mm -hmm. um, like she was a 61 high swimmer uh, as a, I think about 16. 
Oh, the Australian record holder and stuff. And when she came back, she couldn't break 30 for the 50 fly and she was swimming 63s for the 100. Uh, short course, I think, 63. So, um, and couldn't produce any lactate. And um, so we just started this thing. And six months later, she um, was the 1999, uh, would have been PAMPAC trials. Anyway, she finished fourth at the PAMPAC trials and, and made the World Uni team. Mm. And um, anyway, I got selected on that as a coach with her, went over there and uh, she got silver to an American girl and went 60.1 or 60.2. And I thought, Jesus, yeah, it's like something's going on here. Yeah. And um, Scott, he was the head coach of the QAS at the time and that, and he got me to do a presentation. We used to do once a month meetings. And uh, so I, I, I did my presentation with that, um, uh, with, with that preparation. And, but I, I still didn't have the courage to sort of roll it out with everyone. And we were well in, into our, the whole plan for the Olympic games and things. Olympic trials come around. Uh, I didn't get anyone on the, on the team. And um, I had probably like three, three or four outside chances. And um, anyway, so then I, I, in my world, you know, I hit rock bottom and uh, I just went, I'm going to roll this out for the whole program, the whole mm. club. And uh, that's how it all, all went about and happened. And away you went, mate. Away you went. And the journey started. Now, do you think given the climate that we're in today with lengthy lockdowns, et cetera, and I know personally I've spoken to you about this, uh, you know, before, do you think now is the time to, to perhaps be, be looking at it? If they were, I'm not just suggesting coaches just throw what they know out the window, but if, if they were looking around reverse periodization and, and giving it a go and they'd done their research and they'd sort of, had a, a working out of, of where they saw it going in their program. Do you think now would be a good time to do it given the lockdowns and, and, you know, the, the amount of time we're going to have between now and, you know, age nationals next year, et cetera. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, there's two ways to do it. Like um, off a lengthy uh, break, so to speak, uh, or off, and the other way is off the back of a major meet, like a, an age nationals or an open championship. So, um, personally, it, it works. I, I think it works best off off a major meet, mm -hmm. but it certainly um, lends itself to a long break, like eight, nine, ten weeks, something like that. Um, and you know, I've um, last week I was doing some preparation for planning and things like that. Uh, and I was talking to, I can't remember who I was talking to. <laughs> I can't even remember what the day it is. <laughs> My wife said to me, uh, you're a day early. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, they, they were saying, oh, how do you even make a plan? Well, the answer to that is you work backward, you know. So, so I, my plan's working off Australian age championships or Australian open championships, mm -hmm. and I'm working backwards from there. Um, now, hopefully we don't, you know, we'll, yeah, we'll have like at least 16 or more weeks preparation for, um, for those meets. But, you know, I've certainly got my 16 weeks back, working back from that, that point. Um, and uh, so, so it can easily be done. 
And the thing is, um, you know, what goes hand in hand with, with short speed work is, is extensive, long, slow swimming. So, and that's what you want to be doing when you get the swimmers back in. I mean, last year, um, when we came out of like an eight or nine week uh, plan, I, I didn't have any volume as my markers. And the way we got our first month in, we just went on time. So we swam for an hour. Mm -hmm. And then the next week we swam for an hour 10. And then the second, you know, uh, third week it was hour 20. And then the fourth week we were swimming for an hour 30. And we, we'd just swim. And uh, some of the sets were long, arduous and boring for some people. Some people liked them. But um, it was just long, slow swimming and uh, short, fast swimming. Yeah. For the first month back. So, and when I mean short and fast, like seven seconds sort of stuff, you know, that seven, eight second. So. Yeah, yeah, no, good advice, mate. I think that's great advice to to all the coaches out there, not just the young ones. Now, when you're planning your season, as we just talked about there, <clears throat> take COVID out of it, how far ahead are you planning? This is something, again, me and you have personally discussed, you know, with my own athletes and, and you giving me advice. Are you planning one year ahead, two year ahead? Are you doing an Olympic cycle? What, what's in your mind when you're planning for a season? Um, so two things, short-term, long-term. So I think um, if, if you've got an age group swimmer, you can definitely be going, right, you know, how old is um, a swimmer? Okay, let's say they're 15. Mm. Um, and you're going, right, well, they're going to be 19 or 20 at the next Olympic trials. Um, so what's my, what's, wh where do I think my best events for, for those swimmers are and what do they need? Um, so if it's a, a, if it's a 400 meter swimmer um, or a 400 medley swimmer, um, what, what do you think the time's gonna be to make the team and come up with X? Where does my swimmer need to improve on to, to meet that time? Um, so, so that's, and if that is, you know, they've got to improve their speed over the four different strokes, then that's the, the, that see immediate season. I'd be working on making sure that, um, you know, that my program reflected that, you know, so if, you know, if you want your swimmer to be able to go out in 63 for the first hundred and they're, uh, at Olympic trials and their best time today is 63. You've got to make that shift. Yeah. So the earlier you make that shift, the better. And um, because that last 12, 12 months, you want to be, you know, you want to have had all your ducks in line. They're fast enough to swim the time. Now it's about execution in that last 12 month period um, and being able to repeat that execution. So um, what yeah. What what are some of the keys, mate, early in that process of planning? What what are some of the things? <clears throat> I know you mentioned a couple of them there in terms of you know having little goals set, but you know, what are some of the, the keys that you do very early on in your preparation that you know are going to help you? You know, you feel very comfortable. Once that's set, all right, I'm good now. I've got all that planned and, and set in stone. I, I know where I'm going. Um so I think one of the first things is, is making sure. Yeah, what's the end game look like? Where do I want to be? Mm. You know, where do I want to be at the end of the season or where do I want to be in three or four years? 
uh, and who do I think can do that? Um, then once you've identified that sort of stuff uh, and you've got to identify the, the current weaknesses and get try and get on top of that. So if it's technical, identify what's technically going to help make that shift. Um, and then, you know, building a robust athlete is, is, is the next thing. So, and, and building a robust athlete isn't a quick fix. It's something that takes time, but you want to start on that straight away, you know? So, so if it's stability in the shoulders, um, if they're um, susceptible to knee injuries, uh, whatever that may be, trying to address that and uh, install instill in the athlete that these things are really important if we're going to be able to train and get continuous uh, training without breaks in injuries and so forth. So, so they're, they're the factors that I always try to look at is where are the technical weakness, where's the structural weakness, and try to address those two areas. Not, not be trying to get the athlete going and then addressing those things later. How important is it to, I don't want to say sort of give away all the secrets to the swimmers, but bring them into your planning a little bit as well. So much of what we do uh, is the art of selling and, and getting that buy-in from your athletes. And certainly if we're going on a three or four year journey and, and you want that buy-in with the swimmers to come with you, how important is that as well to be able to I don't want to say sell it because it sounds like we're conning them. We're not conning them. We're very confident in, in our planning, but you know what I mean. How important is it to kind of bring them along in that journey as well? Yeah, I think it's it's different with different swimmers. You know, like I've coached swimmers who, who don't want to know the plan. They just yeah. want to, you know, that's that's your area. They don't want yeah. to think that deeply into it. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of them are very good swimmers like that, you know, so – uh, other people want to know the plan a bit more um, uh, in, in, you know, in more detail. And yeah, yeah. Like if we look at Jess Hansen, um, you know, I had, well, nine months with her or something mm. like that um, before the trials. And, and we would meet on a, you know, a monthly basis when we first started off, it was probably a little bit more frequently than that. But then after the first sort of five, six months, she, she was fine. Like, like yeah. we, we didn't meet that much at all. You know, she was, you know, the, the um, confidence, her confidence in me had grown to a point where she was, she was happy with whatever I was going to come up with, you know. Mm. Uh, and we generally talked about other things outside of um, the swimming pool with, with her, you know, with how she was coping, being away from family and things like that, living in Canberra. You know, with family back in Melbourne and, and, and those sorts of things. So I think it's it's different for different people. I do think, though, um, from a squad point of view, talking to the squad um, about the general direction is important. Um, and then after that, then you'll probably get people that want to know a little bit more, or, you know, and they'll yeah. come forward. While we're on that, what about athlete feedback? How important is it? 
when you're going through your sessions and you've, you know, you've, you've done a session, you think you've hit it out of the park. You've written this masterpiece as coach. We like to sometimes I've got many sets where I think, well, that was trash, but then I've got a couple every now and think, Oh, that's a, that's, that's bloody brilliant. That is, how did I come up with that? How important is it to then get the feedback from the swimmers though, to make sure what you were trying to achieve was actually achieved. And it's not just you stroking your own ego that you wrote a great set. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, um, you know, I'm constantly sort of asking, oh, how was that? What did you think? Um, because, you know, not all programs have got, you know, sports scientists stand beside them all the time. You know, um, we're fortunate we get that once a week, um, most most weeks, and, you um, and so I can see the numbers, but even if I see the numbers, I'm still going to ask, um, you know, some of my older athletes, what did they think of the set? Um, I'm, I'm not going to ask, um, you know, some of my youngest swimmers, you know, because, oh, I don't like that. Why didn't you like that? Oh, it was hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you can, you know, there'll be different sorts of sets that I would ask them, you know, like if it was a more, more of an aerobic type set, uh, I might ask a younger athlete, you know, what did they think? And they'll say, oh, that was good. I like that because of X. And then that starts to give you a bit of uh, insight into their personality as well. Mm. Other people like sets because they are hard, you know. So, yeah. um, so, so, so I sort of pick my people on sort of different sort of um, sets. But then the other thing about sets is to, you know, great sets. We've all come up with great sets, but you can't give those sets week in, week out because it just sort of, you know, nulls them. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes a great set is done fantastically. And then I've gone and done it second or third time. And each time it gets, mm, it's not quite as good as the first time. Yeah. yeah. So they're the sorts of sets, they're sort of keepers and you, you want to bring them out periodically. Um, and uh, because there's many ways to skin the cat and you've got to be thinking of, from a, a mental stimulation as well. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's something to keep in mind. Well, I'll hold off on asking about those sets because I've got a couple of questions coming up a bit later about those certain sets that, you know, you know, you've hit it out of the park and especially when you see them kill it in the pool and you think this is brilliant. It's all, you know, collaborated perfectly in, in, in this session. But uh, for now, mate, perhaps famously here in Australia, um, you did this, you know, reverse periodization, as I said, with the young squad up here in Chandler, uh, Brisbane, which included, you know, Aussie legends such as Jody Henry, Alice Mills. Can you give us a, a brief snapshot into, you know, the planning of that success in 2004 in Athens? And I sort of already asked about it before, about how far ahead do you plan? But this is you know, you executed this to perfection. How far ahead did you have an eye on Athens for, for these young girls? 2001. Yeah, without um, a doubt with that. Um, and that was uh, a lot to do with, you know, in my eyes, failing in 2000. Um, so so my my reverse periodization uh, at the you know, I sort of briefly described what I did with Julia Hamm. And because of the age of the athletes um, that, you know, Jody and Alice were at the time, I just then did periodization 2001, 2002, 2003, 
three to four. Mm. Um, and it's been the only time that I've really been able to, to do it. Um, probably up until, you know, my current job where, you know, starting with a younger group um, and, you know, sometimes it's a blessing when you, when you've got a, a bunch of never no ones because you haven't got this, the pressure, you know, of an athlete who's at a certain level and you've got to keep them at that level. Mm. So it, it, it becomes a, you know, nice clean sheet of paper. So, and that's what I had in, in, you know, one um, with all but one or two of my swimmers that stayed on um, the two swimmers that stay on was, uh, was Julia and uh, Greg Shaw, who's um, you know, still involved with Australian swimming today. Mm. So um, the, uh, so for that, yeah, it, it was a, a three, four year plan, you know. So, um, and then since then, you know, when I first went to Denmark, I did it again. Um, so sort of that 08 to 12, or yeah, 08 to 12, I, I didn't do it so much because the type of swimmers that I had in my squad. Um, but uh, yeah. Mate, so, just out of my own curiosity, out of my own curiosity, how long does it take you to? to come up with a, a, you know, a three to four year plan. As I said, I've, I've had conversations with you. I've had a beer with you and showed you somewhat of my plan. It certainly wasn't very detailed. How long did it take you to come up and how detailed was your plan? Was it somewhat of just dot points and, uh, you know, a, a certain roadmap or did you go into great detail? How sort of, you know, yeah, detail was this three to four year plan? Not that detailed, really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that one of the things, you know, when you look at, um, you know, when I came back from um, Edinburgh, no, not Edinburgh, no, when I came back from Denmark, yeah, when I came back from Denmark, I, I didn't have a job for about three months. And um, uh, I I did a bit of a snapshot of my um, best uh, results uh, with athletes, so so what did that mean? It meant an individual medal at a world or, or world championships or an Olympics. And the common thing that came through with all of them, and I've got this sort of one pager on everyone, that, sort of looking at the last eight weeks in everyone's prep, and there's some similarities in there. But the thing was, it was all pretty simple. Yeah. And and I think you know, when you look at great design that last the, te- you know, the time, you know, whether it be furniture, cars, housing, you know, there's simplicity in it. And um, so it's something I always try and keep in mind. And when you look at that four-year plan, you know, the first year was just about 50 metre speed. Second year was 100 metres. Third year was, you know, um, uh, it was sort of amalgamating the whole thing. So that third year, you was sort of starting to resort back to the Julia Ham model that I, that I said earlier, um, where you've got everything in that season from three to four. Um, you know, 2002, you know, when, you, when we sat, in, sat down in two, the beginning of 2001, it was, all right, I, I want the swimmers on, on international teams in 2002. Swimming individual races, and then that was the year, it was a big year um, from a, a racing point of view. You had Pan Packs, you had the Commonwealth Games, 
we did the Mare Nostrum. Um, so, so that year was about if if we had that success, getting them onto the international and then you know repeated racing, um, so that they would become comfortable at that level. And then 2003 was you know it was just about going to the World Champs, um, getting on the podium, and uh, and then you know so that they were they weren't trying to lift. 2004, they were comfortable at that level. So, so from a training point of view, you know, 50, 100, third year, um, consolidating throughout the the energy systems, um, and then each year had their racing type thing. You know, I think yeah, you know, as a club goal, it was to win the Australian Age Group Championship because they were still all at a, at age group level. So that was to give them confidence. You know, but it was nothing more than one page. Yeah. You know, um, when you drilled down, you know, if you if you had walked in in two thousand one, what was what were we trying to do from a sports science point of view? Uh, elevate everybody's lactate production. Mm-hmm. So um, two thousand one was just about that, you know. Um, so. So yeah, I actually. Um, it, it, yeah, just just made me remember. Uh, I, I worked with the QAS um, uh, water polo team. So Sharon Gist, I was playing touch football um, in a mixed touch football comp with Sharon Gist, who was the coach back then, and um, she got me to to do three sessions a week with with the QAS girls. Yep. And that turned into doing writing programs for the Australian water polo group. Um, and, and, you know, when I was talking about that reverse periodization in 97 and, and, and stuff, around the same time I was started working with these girls, we were getting girls in the water polo team. There were some very good swimmers in that, ex-swimmers that were in that team. We were, we were getting like, oh, I had girls throwing up on pool deck, you know, because they were hitting 23 type lactates and the, yeah. you know, the little swab thing only went to 23. And um, I was like, Wow, yeah, this is back in the nineties, and I didn't. People in my squad, they, I don't even know if they could have hit twelve. You know, <laughs> so, um, so that that's, they were the sort of things that got me um, thinking as well. And over a short distance, like like there was girls in the water polo team then, Melissa Mills, um, uh, Gail Miller, and I think there was one other. They could push 26. Yeah. You know, and they could produce these high lactates. The Australian record at that time was 24 7 something from Sarah Ryan. So they were all the things that were going on in my head as well. So, um, yeah, when I started to think about what's going on here. So, mm. yeah. Well, it's interesting to note, I, I guess, for the listeners is that. You know, you didn't just uh, sit down one day and go, oh, yeah, you know, I, I like the idea of this and, you know, write it down and then, you know, perfection happened. This was, you know, years and, and years of investigating and, and yeah. tinkering and, and seeing what worked. And I'm sure, you know, at times it didn't. Did, did you ever, were there ever sort of pitfalls or, or little mistakes that were made along the way where you, you picked up from that and went, okay, well, that didn't work because of this? Um. Nothing that I, that comes to mind, um, but but just 
on what you said. Yeah, yeah. When you think when you when I think back on it, there was a, a few years there that it was just toying around in my head and talking with Tim Terrison and what would it look like and how would it be and and um, you know the catalyst was the the poor performance at the um, 2000 Olympic trials and a lot of people just said, oh, you know, yeah, you're only young, don't panic, all that, all the all good stuff all there was nothing wrong with what they were saying yeah it was just that I, I wanted more um from a results point of view so that was the catalyst that gave me the courage to just completely do something different but when you look back you know there was the water polo girls that i was tinkering with um with what they were doing from a speed element we were doing lots of short sharp burst sprints um and so it was, as you say, there was a long time coming before it rolled out. So, um, and then once it rolled out, you know, they, they, I'm sure if I look back on it and went through some details, there, there would have been, mm. um, but nothing comes to mind. Um, and, and that's the beauty of when you have, you know, something that looks simple, you know, like whether it's, um, you know, what we've just watched at the Olympics and, you know, whether it's Ariane or it's um, you know, uh, Kaylee in the backstroke, it all looks pretty simple, you know, but the, that, to get that race execution out, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. Yeah. And that's what I think about with, with sets or planning, like there, there's more thought goes into it than what's on paper, you know? So, and that's, that's the trick. How, how do I make something complex simple? Because when you look back on something that's really complex, yeah, you know, it's it's hard to learn from it because you think, oh, how did how did I get there? And you know, but when it's when there's something that's there's, there's simplicity in it, you can identify the good and the bad. Mm. And yeah, you know, when I whenever I do planning now, it probably takes me nearly a month because it doesn't take me a month to put something on paper but I'll put something down on paper and then I'll just be, whether I'm working in the garden or I'm riding my bike or I'm walking up and down on pool deck, it's just circling in the back of my head. And it's almost like, you know, there's something not quite right, but you don't know what it is and you need time. And um, this is, this is how I sort of go. Yeah. You know, and the other thing about it, you don't get great sleep in that month either. <laughs> you wake up in the morning and you're like, ah, because it's just something, you know, so you, you tinker with it, but, you, but you, the tinkering should be in the simplicity, trying to attain simplicity in, in my, my point of view anyway. So, yeah. What's funny about you saying that when you, it was just reminding me of so many trips in the morning driving to work. Cause for me, it takes me about 35, 40 minutes to drive to work. And uh, so often I'll be driving and I'm thinking about the set that morning and I'm thinking, oh, do you know what? We could change that. I don't know if that's going to work this morning. And then you're overplaying it. Sometimes you change it and it's brilliant. Sometimes I don't change it and it still works. Sometimes I didn't change it and I kick myself because I think that didn't work. I should have changed it. But yeah, you're right. We're, we're sort of constantly, you know, just second guessing ourselves, but just trying to find the, the best way possible. Yeah. That's why I think, you know, coaching as a profession, you know, you, you need time. You can't be too busy as a coach um, because 
you just need that uh, reflection time. And sometimes, you know, employees, you know, they think, oh, well, he's not working now or she's not working now. Well, hang on. No, there's a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think coaches have got to keep that in mind, you know, that they give themselves enough time to reflect. Um, because the other thing, yeah, something that Don said to me years ago, never never change your program by more than 20%. So, um, so that's something to keep in mind as well, you know, at the end of the season, you know. Yeah. Not everything's great. Not everything's bad. You've got to be able to work out where you need to make the, the those small changes. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, the other thing about uh, what you just said before reminded me of as well. Uh, a mate of mine who now coaches up in Queensland at St Peter's Western was down in Sydney. We had a you know good night here on the drink, watching the football, and then uh, halfway through he's like, "Come, come, sit up here quick. I've got this set. I've got to tell you about." And I'm like. The football is on. What are you on about? No, no, come on. This is a brilliant. You're going to love it. Come on, come and look at this set. So as coaches, you're right. We're, you know, even though it might look like we're not working, even though we were sitting here watching the football, his brain was still ticking about this set that he had, you know, devised. And it was so brilliant. And to, to be fair, it was a great set. And I did really enjoy it, but yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, mate, what are some of those sets? You know, we're, we're talking about that. What are some of those sets for you that are sort of staples in your program? Might be now, might have been before, but certain ones that, as you said, you didn't want to hit it too much, but when you did it and it was executed really well, you knew you were on the right track. Do you have a few of those? Um, well, that for, the first one that comes to mind would be uh, the set that Jody used to do really, really well which would be like seven or eight fifties um, uh, on two minutes. First one dive, the rest of them push. Um, and you're, you, you're, you're working, it's a tolerance set. You're working at that sort of 15, in her case, she'd be around that 15 marked um, lactate. But it's, it's a set that, and I remember, you know, when we first started doing it, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. You know, swimming at faster than race speed. It's a back-end type set. Um, but, uh, and the whole squad would do it. I remember about the third or fourth time that we did it, and I was like, hmm, <laughs> this, is starting, this is starting to become lukewarm. So it's a set that I've used throughout, you know, my coaching career, but I've had to be able to do the similar sort of thing in different ways. Um and it was interesting. I had a great chat um, to Tom V uh, during the. He's a sports scientist. Works up in, uh, with the guys. A lot of the guys on the Gold Coast. And um, the it was during the event camp, and I was up there with the breaststrokers, and we had some great chat over dinner and stuff, and then. I said to him, you know, like Simon Cusack does this set and it's like 350s and then swim off and I think it's three times. So it's like 950s in a row. And, and I said, well, tell me the difference between that set and the eight, uh, eight fifties on two minutes. And, and you know, he, he said, well, Simon, the way Simon's doing it, it's still, it's, there's eight fifties and there's 
eight or nine fifties. Mm-hmm. They're just by, by breaking it up with the long swimming in between. Simon's making sure that he's keeping a lot of speed in it, whereas I'm testing the back end speed. So, so if you look at a lot of my swimmers uh, um, over the last twenty years, good back end swimmers, whether it be their one hundred or their two hundred, um, and I reflected on that, and I was, a lot of my sets are geared to the second half of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, when I look, so so one of the things I've got to be mindful of is when I'm doing set design is is not going that way too often. Um, so, um, but I thought that was a really interesting point because he said as as you're getting to like the sixth, seventh, and eighth one, it's becoming quite a quite aerobic. Um, and then I said, all right, well, here's another variation that I would do. And we would go um, 150 aerobic, 50 fast, and we'd do that eight, nine, or 10 times. And he said, oh, again, another really, um, it's working in that, um, it's an anaerobic set, but yeah. by the time you're getting to those later uh, rounds, it's becoming more aerobic, which is back end. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that's, uh, you know, it's eight fifties. Um, you can do it Simon's way. You can do it straight. You can break it up, you know, 150, 50. They're all around the 400 meter mark, but the way you design it and, and when you deliver it is the important thing. So it's a simple set, but it will have different consequences the way it's designed and mentally it's it's good you know to be able to do 150 in between and a 50 and the common thing that comes up with that set that everyone does is everyone that goes it's much harder than it looks you know mm. um and if when you when i do ask i remember jess hansen saying you know it's it's the same but it's it's just different mm-hmm. she, she couldn't work out how and and that's you know um that's the beauty of and I think one of the challenges in coaches is how do I get the same result, but in a different way, you know, and then that keeps them mentally after it, not walking in going, Oh, we've got this set again. It's, you know, it's the same set. It's week five, you know? Mm. So, so yeah. And how important is that mate, just on that to, to pay attention to, you know, the way the swimmers are, are performing or the way they're feeling after it. And to sort of, say, you know, look ourselves in the mirror, but take ownership of that, and, and maybe, you know, so often I, I do think to myself, well, maybe I got that wrong today, and maybe, you know, we can all stand there and say, you didn't do this, and you didn't do that, you didn't pull your finger out when you needed to as an athlete. Maybe as a coach, at times we we just sort of presented that session at the wrong time. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like you know, you can say the right thing at the wrong time will have absolutely no effect. And you've got to save that for the the right time. You know, when is the athlete engaged? And now I'm going to say, this is what you need to do, you know, for the future. Now, if you say that at a time where they're, they're disengaged, you've just blown it, you know? Yeah. Um, so that timing is everything. And it's ex- exactly the same with sets. You know, like I'm constantly thinking, you know, okay, I've got a great set coming up in two days. But, but I think they're just out on their feet because today was a great set. Mm. 
and it's you know we're three weeks in or two weeks in. I'm going to save this set for when they're fresher mentally, and then I'm going to because I don't want to waste the set. Yeah, yeah. So absolutely, I, th- I think absolutely you've got to be thinking along those lines. Now, mate, what are some of the pitfalls that you see coaches go through when they're attempting to do reverse periodization? And I ask you this because no doubt similar to me coming to you. I, I know there's definitely coaches that would have come to you and presented you with their idea and said, mate, what do you think of this? How do you think this? And then, you know, they go out and try and execute. Are there sort of pitfalls or, or areas that they might not quite get right at times um, that, that you see? Maybe they get impatient with certain things. I don't know, but, um, you know, have you seen anything? I think the two things that I've seen, um, and I had a, a coach the other day send me his um, his plan and and in it was you know one of the two things the first thing is they don't give themselves enough time so the season's too short um, and then the second thing is they try to get them too fit quick um, too quickly mm-hmm. so you want to uh, sneak up on fitness so it's a slow burn um, so, so when you looked at this season that the coach sent me, it was all pretty good, but they were shifting too quickly through the aerobic, uh, areas. It's not mine, so, is it? This isn't, you're not bringing up our conversation, are you? <laughs> Sounds very similar to the chat we had. <laughs> no, Robbie, it's not yours. <laughs> but um, very similar. So, <laughs> so yeah so they were so they were still trying to create you know speed and stuff but the, you know the cycle work was down to 120 and i'm like well you don't need to go to 120 you know so my suggestion was um stay at 130 sort of cycle and just increase the fractions or the distance of the set rather than shifting the cycle constantly down um so, so that sort of 120 type base turnaround would only be right at the end of the prep. It certainly wouldn't be um, in, in the beginning, um, in the beginning half, you know. Mm. So, um, so I think that's, you know, one of the things in case you just got to be patient. The patience is such a thing that rarely gets talked about. You will be patient with the athletes. You got to be patient um, with, with the process and and it's something that you know probably uh, that's probably the question when you think back when i think back on your earlier question it's probably um, going too hard too quickly uh in some of the preparations you know so um sometimes and what i've what i've found a couple of times is you know my my swimmers are ready to go and it's still four weeks to go you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) so how am we going to hold these guys for the next four weeks before this meet starts? That, that's, that's, I've been guilty of that a couple of times. When you say sort of, you know, pushing the envelope too early within that preparation, are you talking in volume? Are we, you know, are we giving them too much too early? How would you start to say that first four weeks of your, of your progress, four to five, whatever it might be? Um, So similar to what I said earlier, you know, Keeping the intensity out of it, aerobic intensity, um, and 
and just doing that real polar short and fast and then long um, and extensive. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the ways I think is, is a good way to, to um, uh, keep them slow is giving them long fractions. And, and what I mean by that is like going like uh, four five hundreds instead of 2100s. So you give, you give a squad 2100s um, and next minute, uh, you know, Jane wants to beat Jimmy because, you know, Jane doesn't like Jimmy and, mm-hmm. you know, so on and so on. You look across and they're going 110s, you know. But you put them in and, and go four four 500s. So if you've got a squad, for example, okay, let's say three quarters of your squad can handle four 500s. So then um, technically you're not quite as happy with some of the, your younger people or they are just younger. So give them um, five 400s. So same distance, lower fraction. And then you might have, you know, a couple other people, you know, so say you've got three different levels within the one squad, well, they could do six 300s. So the fraction, so it's nearly the same in, in total volume, but um, you, you're stopping them more frequently. Mm. So, so that way, you know, there's no way they're going to swim at the repeat swimming, at that swimming speed that they would do 21s at. So, so that way they're not going to be getting close or tapping into that threshold area. So you're keeping them in that aerobic area and that's the key. Yeah. And that builds their aerobic capacity. Um, and then, you know, how, how do we extend on that? Well, you know, in, in the third month, you know, you, you might be going seven, four hundreds. Um, and, and the top guys might be going um, five, six hundreds. And the, 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 the guys, the swimmers that were doing the 618s, they might be uh, at six, three hundreds, they might be just doing seven or eight. So they've gone up to 24. So, so you've expanded the distance. Some people you might have bumped up because technically they're swimming well and, and you know, the fractions are longer. So, so trying to think of it in, in that way, in that, that um, aerobic way rather than the time. And, you know, I've, over the years, heard, you know, Lee Nugent and Ron McKeon and, you know, those guys that sort of walk around the programs, uh, you know, they talk about throwing the stopwatch away. Mm. You know, so so you could go the other the other way. You don't have any cycle on, on that aerobic stuff. So so you could just say, right, we're going, you know, uh, four five hundreds, and we're going to have a minute's rest at the end. So everyone swims at their speed. Everyone gets a minute's rest, and everyone, in theory, um, does the same thing. Yeah, at their speed, at their level. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. We quite often do that in our program. 30 seconds rest after it, just check your heart rate, make sure you're in the right zones because we always want them to be, you know, in that sort of A1 to A2, nothing over that. And uh, I think, yeah, to your point, it, it's perfect because it helps everybody sit in their own level. They don't get competitive with each other. Yeah. Um, some of them drop off a little bit too much, let's be honest. <laughs> they, they tell me they're sitting at A1, but I honestly, I think they're just doing a bit of a recovery swim. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, look, you know, sometimes the worst thing that parents can say to their uh, swimmers is, you know, just get in and try and keep up with, you know, 
such and such. No, that's actually not what you want. The competitiveness in a squad should be around the skill level, the, you know, the short stuff, you know, the last 10 metres. You know, so when you're doing the 850s, um, you know, someone, you know, the name's Jane and Jimmy, you know, mm. Jane doesn't breathe in the last 10 because she wants to beat Jimmy, you know, like they're good skill things that you're, that you're, um, you're developing in your sets. Um, yeah. Uh, if you're doing short 15 underwater work, you know, who's the fastest? Yeah, that's where the competitiveness should, should come into play. But then in that aerobic area, it could be so different. Um, and the damage can be, re- you know, really um, ruin your season for, for some swimmers, you know. And, you know, coaches will look back and they go, oh, well, I had, you know, two or three people swim well, but the other, the other 10 didn't. You know, I can bet your bottom dollar, if you look back, it was they were working too hard. When you wanted it to be aerobic, they weren't working at their, their aerobic level. They were trying to keep up with your two best swimmers or your three mm. best swimmers. But, and your three best swimmers were working at that aerobic level, you know. Yeah. No, no, great point. Great point. Um, just a quick one, just circling back, because I really liked what you said before when you were first getting back in after COVID. It was just an hour's training, an hour 10, an hour 20, anyway, working back up. Is that something you would use within this reverse periodization as well, sort of at that beginning level? Would you, could you be able to just say, you know, we're just getting in because we're not worrying about, you know, so much volume or whatever it might be. We're just going to train for an hour for the first two weeks or and then, uh, you know, expand on that? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't do that back in, you know, 2001, but I would do that if I was – you know, how would I change 2001? That's how I'd change it um, because I've just grown as a coach and, and learnt things as a coach. So, um, and, and, it, and with those longer fractions as well, that's how I would change it um, if I look back at my 2001 season. Um, so the other thing, um, it, it, it's, yeah, you know, I don't know with all coaches, but, you know, if I – write something down, you know, if it's 4K, then it's got to be 4K, you know what I mean? Like, so I, when I just went on time, you know, um, last year, I just found I, I didn't have that pressure of having to do X amount of volume. So I just went on that time. I, I just found I was um, – I, I coached better. I didn't use my stopwatch so much. I was monitoring heart rates. Um, I, I wasn't worried about what, what time they were doing the repeat 400 on. Um, you know, some of my sprint people that they would do, you know, some sets would go just for 40 minutes. And some of my sprinter types with low aerobic capacities, they would get six done. And, and some of my more aerobic athletes got seven or seven and a half done. Mm. And we would just stop it, you know. So, so um, I remember can't remember the exact set, but it would go for 40 minutes. And at the end of like the month, um, you know, some swimmers were swimming 350 metres more in 40 minutes than what they were doing at the beginning of the month. Yeah. So uh, for the same heart rate, well, you've, you've made a good shift here. Yeah. And the thing was the swimmers, and I said, now put 350 metres or 400 or whatever it may be, put that in a straight line. 
Oh, oh actually, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> like, that's a long way. Yeah. So um, we always tend to think, because they're always coming back to us, or I do anyway, that, oh, 350, you know. No, 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 you put it in a straight line, that's quite a distance of swimming. So. Now, just because I know, obviously, I'm an age group coach and there's going to be a lot of age group coaches out there, um, you know, that are listening to this, that are going to have to sell that to parents, <laughs> you know, how, like in terms of the time difference. So I, I hear this quite a lot. I've, I've, as I've gotten older, been a lot better at communicating the difference between a gold squad, say, to a, a bronze squad, you know, because, you know, but when they first come in, hey, hey I paid for two hours. Why, why are they getting out after an hour? How, how would you uh, communicate that with, uh, with the parents if, the, you know, at the beginning of the season, if the, and especially, and even towards the back end when you're tapering as well and the sessions aren't going for quite as long? <laughs> uh, isn't that unbelievable? Um, you do get it, don't you? Have you ever heard yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hang on a second. I paid for two hours. Well, don't get, get them back in the pool. Did he work hard enough? He's smiling. Shannon, why is he smiling? He obviously didn't work hard enough. Yeah, it's like that five dollars, five ninety five, all you can eat, you know, pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, look, um, one of the best things I've ever done is just had. Um, I did it back in the Chandler days. Um, is uh, getting all the parents just having an open day, and uh, book a room, get them in the room. This is what we're doing. Uh, this is the plan for the season. This is how many meets we're going to go to. Uh, and then um, allow them to come in with any question that they like. Um, and then just go through the, um, you know, having those conversations about, um, you know, your philosophy and, um, you know, I remember talking about, um, you know, when parents say, you've got to treat everybody the same. Well, that's, that's the quickest way not to treat everybody individually, isn't it? You know, like, you know, some, some days someone needs more attention than other people because it's might be something that they're not good at. Mm. Um, and other days, you know, it's all swings and, and uh, is it swings and roundabouts or what is that saying? So- <laughs> I think the roundabout <laughs> parts, right. I don't know what the other bit is. <laughs> <laughs> but just having that open and frank conversation um, and talking, you know, that someone at the age of 12 or 13, you know, shouldn't be in the water for two hours, you know, um, that, that someone, you know, who's 20 can, can do. And, and the reason is technically they can't do that, you know, and from, you know, their development from the structural, from their shoulder development, all that sort of stuff, you know, you don't want athletes that are that are injured and stuff down the track because they've done too much work at too young an age. So, so it's just um, explaining your short term and long term vision for the the club, the program, and that you've got the best interests of that those swimmers um, at heart. You know, so you know. When they come at you, oh, you know, such and such program down the road is doing two hours with their eleven-year-olds. Okay, well, that's fine. But here we have a long-term development strategy, mm. um, and, and getting that out there because a lot of the times we know what we want, but they're they're looking from the sidelines and and not seeing it. So it's 
educating the parents as much as, as the swimmers. Yeah. I like it, mate. I think it's spot on. And, um, you know, I think there was a time obviously in coaching perhaps that, you know, it was, you know, just tell the parents the thank you, but we've got this, but I, I do agree. I think it's important to, to bring them in. Not too much that they feel like they can grab a rate for you while you're standing next to them yeah. on pool deck, but enough that they can, yeah, trust the process and, and know that, um, you know, you've got a clear sort of vision of, of where you're heading. Now, you spent a, a fair bit of time, mate, over in Europe coaching in Denmark. How much did you enjoy that? And what lessons did you take away from there? Uh, yeah, like really enjoyed it. The um, the swimmers were, you know, some of the best swimmers I've, I've ever coached from a, not just from a swimming point of view, but just, um, you know, just really um, – appreciated what you were doing um and um you know not all the times you get that and, and i think i don't know whether it's in australia we've got so many great coaches um and athletes take it for granted but i just felt that um in europe in, in, in denmark especially that like they just really appreciated um you know what you were doing for them uh whether it was you know, that comes from their uh, culture and stuff. Um, I'm not too sure, but that was that was what I, I, I you know, the first thing that springs to mind. Uh, I'm still in touch with with them today. Um, you know, when I came out, you know, um, uh, Janetta Otteson and um, Regamola Patterson, they came out and, and worked with me here in Australia when, when I did come back. And, um, yeah, not too many people would, follow a coach halfway around the world. Mm. Um, so that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, the, uh, and, you know, both Janetta and Rega had babies. Uh, Janetta was at a fifth Olympics um, just recently in, in, uh, in Tokyo. I was in touch with, with her um, before and, and, and after that. And also, um, uh, and Reg Reg has just had a baby earlier th this year, so um, keep in touch with them. And uh, it, it was just a great experience. Um, coaching wise, um, yeah, if we're talking uh, interesting, yeah, you know, when I went to when I started there, you know, um, they they wanted long fractions all the time, you know, um, and yeah, you know, Australia probably sits somewhere in the middle. They wanted, you know, if it was 21s, they'd say, can we just do 2K straight? And <laughs> and, and when I went to the UK, um, so, you know, my, my coaching had sort of shifted from my time in Denmark uh, in that area. And so I'd, you know, come out with, you know, four 600s or something like that uh, or 2K straight. Oh, can we do 21s? You know, like <laughs> they, they were, you know, Flight-wise, there's an hour between Copenhagen and, and Edinburgh, and, but there was a mile of difference um, mm. in the way they went about training. So, um, and uh, the Danes, you know, worked very hard, um, ha had a lot of fun. And I don't know whether it was so much because I, you know, I was out. I mean, one of the things, it's hard um, I don't realize. I don't think I realized how much pressure I was under when I was at the AIS, um, and I remember thinking that when I started coaching in Denmark. I actually think 
pro from a it was, it was almost like it was my my golden period um I, I was I knew I was coaching well I, I had some coaches come over and watch me I had some Hungarians and different people had come in and we'd have different athletes in from you know um Hannah Maria Sapala had come and trained with us and um some Dutch girls and um you know we'd have people come in and stuff like that and, uh, Sean Kelly came across and and spent a week with me and Sean you know he was at Manchester for um for years uh, great coach good friend of mine uh, he's now the head coach in in um Spain I remember you saying to me then, um, yeah, you're coaching really well. Like you can just see. And, and I think, you know, it gets back to I was just too loaded up at the AIS. Um, and I think if I look back and I had my time again with an AIS-type program, I think I was too young to do this then. But I, I wouldn't coach and be the head coach. I'd be one or the other. Mm. Um, so... The, and then, you know, when I went to the UK, um, you know, they, they, the UK do a lot of best average. Um, so a lot of their sets, um, a lot different to our speed type sets that we do in Australia. Um, they don't do that long continuous swimming like, like mainland Europe tends to do. Um, 21's best average, 1650's best average, 2050's best average, 3050's best average. And I think you can see uh, the, the results, what the events that they're good at, there's there's a real reflection in, in the way they, they coach. Um, and then you've got a couple of programs that aren't like that. You, you've got a few programs in the UK that are the um, Yarn Albrecht type way. So there's almost like this two... Two, um, two different coaching streams going mm. on. And um, they, they model more that European model of uh, long continuous swimming. So, um, so that was interesting. Because um, I, I tend to stand back and try to look at patterns. Um, that's what I've certainly done over, over, you know, the 30 years that I've coached, you know, um, and by that, what I'll, what I mean is like, I remember in the nineties, you know, I'd look at, I wouldn't look at who had the best swimmer and who are, um, what are they doing? I'd look at, yeah. So say it was a distance, um, program. I was looking at who, who had lots of, or, you know, five or six good distance kids. You know, what's that program doing? I wouldn't look at the one-offs, you know, yeah. Um, the outliers. You know, so if someone had a lot of good breaststrokers, what are they doing? You know, that is, is getting that repeatability across um, or butterfly or whatever it may be. It's funny and when I you can- say that. Yeah. When you say that, it makes me think of uh, Ken Wood up at Redcliffe when he was churning out. I think was it at one point he had three or four world champ or world record holders or whatever it was that Jeff Hugel, Liesl Jones, Jeff Shipper. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Ken was a great coach. Um, and he, yeah, he had a lot of good breaststrokers, you know, uh, yeah, Jade Winter, um, Tani White, who I ended up coaching and, uh, and Liesl and, and they all came through at the same time. And then there was, there's, there was others around that as well. You know, they weren't the only three breaststrokers. They had a heap of butterflies, 
that he tended to have those clusters um, and um, particularly, you know, I would say, you know, especially when I was at Chandler, he'd have, you know, breaststrokers and butterflies and then he'd, you know, he'd have the odd sort of 400 swimmer, uh, just 400, 800 swimmer. So. Yeah, no. Um, one thing about Ken too, I'll never forget. He um, he came down to Sydney because I, obviously I'm from Sydney. I know I went up to, to Queensland for a bit, but I'm from Sydney. Came down, he did a talk and uh, he just said, oh, if anybody wants any uh, feedback or programs or anything, here's my email. So I emailed him and uh, he said, oh, I'll be back for, for nationals. Come see me. And then he'd printed them, hand printed them himself one at a time. And there was this yeah. massive folder of stuff. So, you know, very, very giving and uh, and a great man for sure. And the other thing that you've just reminded me of when you said Jan Albrecht was going to dinner with him and his wife and, and Drew and a few of the other Queensland coaches. We had a few beers and after uh, a big weekend there up at uh, the QAS and just feeling so out of my depth in terms of just intelligence. <laughs> like I tried my best, but those two, and like they didn't make me feel like I wasn't intelligent. Like they were lo- lovely, lovely people, but I'm just sitting there going, how am I sitting here having a chat with Jana Olbrick about anything? I've got to try and change it to football or something where I can get a bit of control. <laughs> Uh, the, the science of winning, I think, is the name of the book, and um, it's a deep book. Like I read it the first time, I thought, I thought, oh, I don't know anything, and um, <laughs> yeah, but a, a lot of it is just the way you know what we call, yeah, and an energy system is just different, you know, whether you're in America or you're in Europe. So once you understand, oh, you know, anaerobic capacity, you know, and aerobic power and anaerobic power and all those sorts of terminology but you've got to get your head around all of that but um i remember the first time I, david pine gave it to me and i read it and, and um <laughs> i handed it back to him and uh i said um that's uh it was it was an interesting read you know like quite complex and he goes oh yeah very complex i went oh thank god you said it (laughs) (laughs) i said can i have it back i I need to read it again (laughs) so well anyway no they they were brilliant um love when they came out and yeah definitely very very nice people and and great to have a a meal with and and a couple of beers now mate talking about sessions how far ahead do you plan your week? Now, you know, for everyone, it's, it's different. Some people like to be very well planned, but also, you know, have room, wiggle room, obviously being flexible depending on how the, you know, the week's planning out. Or some people I know don't even do, I think it's Michael Bowler heard the other day, doesn't, you know, plan his, his warm-ups. He just sort of has his main sets and goes through the warm-ups each time depending on who's there and what they're, you know, warming up for, et cetera. How far ahead are you, are you planning your sessions? Um, so the structure of the, the whole preparation, I would do like, that's what I've done at the moment. So what, what sort of sets do I want to be doing and when do I want to do them in the 20 weeks or the 16 mm-hmm. weeks? Um, the detail of that actual set, I won't have done, but, um, the outline, I've actually put in a couple of test weeks or test sets and basically that 850s on two is almost gone to a test set really. Um, so I've, I've, I've done that, but for a, for a week, 
um, and, and say, so I know what I'm doing in my main set for, for that week. So that'll be um, like Monday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon and Saturday morning. Um, and then the, the sets around those main sets, I'm probably, you know, three days. So I'll, I'll you know, it's on Sunday, I would have done Monday to Wednesday. Mm. And then on Wednesday, I'll do the rest of the week. On, on, and particularly if um, early in the season, it'll, it'll be, I'll be reflecting on oh, what do we need to do more of? What do we got to get better at? Um, yeah, what, you know, oh, I'm not happy with, you know, um, two of my swimmers butterfly, let's say. So on Friday morning, I'll make sure those two guys, you know, or girls get that drill. I've got to do that drill on Friday morning and I'll be, you know, penciling that in as I'm going through the week. I'll make sure you do a bit more underwater work, making little notes, you know. So, so yeah, generally three days, um, but my main set's, are done you know right this week this is what we're doing so so if, if i had um you know josh simmett comes and asks me um what are we doing on saturday morning i, I can tell him what we're doing on saturday morning mm. anytime in that week yeah if he came and said what, what are we doing on friday morning i'm a bit more oh i'll wait till wednesday before i decide what we're going to do on friday well, and just circling back to a chat we just had before about being versatile and, and having a look at what you're doing, how important is it, even though we are planning ahead, to have a look at that day and if you're not feeling it for whatever reason to, to maybe, you know, move, move on the run a little bit, not saying it has to happen all the time, but as you said, if you, if you rock up to training one morning and they're all looking, you know, they're dragging their feet in and you've got this red hot set where, you, you know, you need the enthusiasm, how important is it to be able to shift on the run a little bit as well? Um, yeah, I think it's important. I think it's hard um, when you've got a, a big group because, um, you know, rarely would the whole group be on having a down. Um, mm. So that, so I think, you know, if, if I think about myself, I'd be more inclined to change things for certain people. Um you know, someone might come in with a sore shoulder or a sore foot, you know, um, or, you know, they're sick or anything like any of those sorts of things. Um, the, the times where, uh, you know, I would completely change a set wouldn't happen too, too, too often, actually. If, if we were doing, like, say we had one more hard set to do, before their recovery week or their recovery three or four days. Uh, in the past, you know, you might give them a, uh, an El Pacino, um, you know, uh, inspiration talk. Mm -hmm. We've got to find an inch, you know. Yeah, any given Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm with you. <laughs> and, yeah, I can remember doing that. Um, it was back in AIS days and look, they were out on their feet and, um, I said to uh, John Fowley, I said, John, can you find that El Pacino speech and, you know, uh, on Friday afternoon, it's our last art session, get it up on the TV. And so they came in and I remember Ash Delaney and Belinda Hocking and Angie Bainbridge. And uh, 
they came in and you know they yeah you know, the, the shoulders were down and stuff and and I did this El Pacino talk and just said that's all you've got to do this afternoon is just find an inch just find three four tenths in a lap it could be at the start you know blah 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 anyway oh they swam fantastic <laughs> now if you did that all the time yeah you know, that'd lose its effect but. I remember thinking to myself, it's like, geez, I, I was nearly going to bail on this set. Mm. And, um, but you, you, you gave him something to stop, re stop, uh, stop reflecting within. And um, you gave them an ex something external to focus on. And I think, you know, um, you know it's, it's probably what a lot of the better coaches can do, you know, um, and you know, Dean, you mentioned Dean, he, he's, he can probably do it three times a week. I don't know. I haven't been on deck with Dean. I swam with Dean, but, um, you know, being able to get them up, uh, and, and then to deliver, uh, what they didn't think they were going to be able to, to deliver. And, and, um, so I think it's just knowing when to do pull that trigger and when knowing when not to pull that trigger. And I think that's, that's just what you've got to have that, in, in the back of your head is this a time where because if you, if you go for that inspirational talk you, you want the mm. the, re, the right reaction don't you you know like so you've got to be able to think mm, and, and if, if is this all they need or are they legitimately have i taken them have i taken them over the edge and there's no way around this and then you could come up with um you know all right well you know, we plan to do nine, but we're only going to do three, but you've got to do three at this level. Yeah. I guess it's, it's the art of coaching really, isn't it? It's, it's a different, yeah. as you said, between those who can do it at the very, very top level and picking their, you know, talking about, um, you know, picking and choosing your moments. It sort of reminds me um, of, you know, NRL coaches and, and those sort of big halftime sprays. I mean, if you came in every, every game, and gave a halftime just spray to everyone and just i mean it might work the first time and but it's not yep. going to work the second time is it no no absolutely not so um so yeah the art of coaching is is completely correct you know it's that's where um you've got to have that feel for it and you've got to know your athletes you've um and this is getting back to that how do you know your athletes and all that you need time you know, um, it's, it's one of the, you know, when, when Matt Abood came into my program and, uh, and Jess, it's the thing that I knew I didn't have, you know, I didn't have time with them. You know, it was just one preparation to make that Olympic team. Um, and you need, you know, the more time, the better. Um, so, but it's, you know, getting back to that art thing, it's why, you know, it's not just about writing it down on a piece of paper. It's not just purely, um, you know, exercise physiology. It's, it's, uh, it's the difference between a coach and a scientist, you know? So um, I think someone once said, the art of coaching is applying the science, you know, like, so when, when to do it, when not to do it. And then, then you, you've got that, the whole psychology and it's, so that's why it's important to, to have your finger in that pie as well, you know, the whole psychology piece. Yeah, great point. Um, 
Now, we're nearly finished, mate, because me and you could chat forever. I've only got a couple of more questions for you. Coaching goals for the next three years. You're someone who, and I mentioned at the top of the show, is I don't think there's much that you maybe haven't achieved <laughs> as, a, as a, a professional coach in, in swimming. You know, you've been to, to you know, the heights uh, that many probably dream of and won't get to. What are your coaching goals for the next three years and what keeps you motivated to keep pushing and, and driving for those goals? Um, yeah, good question. Um, I'll just come up with it, to be honest. So I've, I've, I've made, I've, I've impressed myself. <laughs> it's, a, it's, um, it's actually, you know, one of the things I think, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably a, a for another day. It, it, it's something that has been hard. Like, like I, um, you know, I went to Athens and came away with five gold medals from my two swimmers that I'd coached from, you know, 11 and 14 years of age. And, yeah, I was 32. And you're like, where to now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that um, it's, it's been – hasn't been easy. Um, so, but – yeah, as I said, it's probably another discussion. Um, for the immediate, for the next, yeah, you know, and and what? It's less than three years yeah. to yeah you know, to make the Olympic team. Um, we, we were on a coach chat a couple of weeks ago, and um, uh, you know, I said on that coach chat, I think I've got two athletes that can make the Olympic team, mm. um, and. Uh, so that's the goal for me to try and get those two, you know, and I think I'm part of, you know, hopefully um, a large group of coaches that have got people in New South Wales with that goal, you know, whether, whether you've got one, two or three. Um, and that's what I think, you know, that's what we need in New South Wales to do. So um, I'm certainly one of those types of people that, you know, I, I don't like it when you hear, oh, you've got to go to this program if you want to make it, or you've got to go to that state if you want to make it. Like, it's like a, a red rag to a bull. So um, it's something that I want to be part of to improve swimming in New South Wales, you know. Um, so, you know, I said then that I think I've got two. I've, I've lost one of them. <laughs> Playing COVID, yeah. Um, Abby Webb, you know, had decided to stay, and then, um, yeah, there was problems with with the university transfer, and then uh, the Australian team that she was on, you know, uh, the World Unis got cancelled, and then we had yeah. COVID, and then so she's ended up going back to the US after swapping and changing a bit. So, but anyway, you know, she. She may be back in 2023 um, and hopefully, you know, if she comes back to the program or New South Wales, you know, she can still, you know, so that goal of getting her on, on a team, um, you know, it isn't gone, but it's, um, it, you know, I won't have any control over that over the next year or two. Um, but, but she's still, you know, as a program, you know, when she comes back, you know, I think I've got another girl 
in the program that could you know make that Olympic team, um, and then you might have a surprise, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I remember like Alice Mills was a, a surprise. Yeah, she was one like yeah, she like oh, well, she's talented, she's fast, but uh, she's pretty small, you know. Like yeah, you know. So there's, there's always those ones that that come through. So I think um, as a coach. You've got to have those goals. I think there's too many I've heard over the years. Oh, I, I just need someone that's good to come to my program. And if you want to make it, you can't have that. Mm. The amount of times I've heard that and those coaches, they just don't make it. Mm. You've got to go, I want, this is where this program is going to go. This is what we're trying to do. And you, you got to look around the room and go, all right, well, yeah, how many times have we got the perfect athlete? Like, you know? Yeah. I, Jody Henry couldn't even touch a toes, you know, like um, she had one leg longer than the other and was supposed to wear an orthotic in it. Did she do it? No. You know, like, um, you know, if you're waiting for that, so when it come along, they've probably been and gone. So you, you've got to have those big goals. You know, one of my favourite sayings for Peter Brock, you know, bite off as much as you can chew and chew like hell. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, that, that's the goal, you know, um, and, and, and stuff happens, eh? You know, like if, if we had been having this talk this time last year, I think Jess came in in August or something, you know, she trialled with me in July. But, if, you know, if you had said to me in July, you know, will you get anyone on the Olympic team? No, no. Mm. So, so things can, the point being is things can shift quite quickly, you know. Yep. Um, and the same with Matt Abood, you know, like when he came in. And um, did we have the environment for, for someone to make the Olympic team? No bloody way. Like, like when Matt came down, like I, I spent 45 minutes trying to get him not to come, you know, like the blocks weren't the right height. There was, I was coaching seven swimmers and two of them were my own kids, you yeah. know, like it was no one for him to train in, you know, with and stuff. So you don't need the perfect pro, you know, um, program. You just need like-minded people to have a goal. Yeah, and that starts with the coach. The coach has got to have the goal. Then, then you need athletes that, that want to attain that. And then you just go for it. And you, uh, along the way, you work out what what they've got to, you know, their strengths and weaknesses, what have got to get better. You just keep chipping away. And it's like an artist. Yeah, where do they start? You know, those sculptures. They just start with whatever you know, whether it's wood or whether it's stone yeah it's just a block isn't it yeah but the, the artist doesn't start off going oh, i don't know what this is going to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the artist knows oh this is going to be a statue of you know a bird or you know whatever yeah so you've got to have that what what do i want this what's the end i don't you know, I, I can't tell you exactly every every step, but I've got to have a vision for this block of wood. So, um, and it's the same as, as swimmers start off like blocks, and then you've got to, you know, 
guide them and, and, and you know, sometimes the most talented ones don't make it because of other variables uh, that you don't see. They're trying to wait for something, some perfect thing that comes along. Well, you're just going to be waiting for a hell of a long time. You've just got to go, what is this program? Where do I want the program to be? How, and, you know, what are some, uh, I mentioned, you know, one of the steps along the way to Athens was winning the Australian Age Group Championship. Mm. Because what did that do? That, that involved, like, that was a goal. And, you know, I think we went with about 12, 13 swimmers. But they were all wanting, you know, they all felt that they could participate in that. And, and um, you know, Jody and Alice uh, went to Athens. I had a, you know, a couple other swimmers along the way that made teams, but they all trained in a program. Everyone that was in that squad ended up training with the Olympic champion, but they didn't know they were training with the Olympic champion at the time. Yeah. You know? So, um, you know, I think that is um, the biggest thing as a coach. You've you got to have that goal. What What is the goal? You know, put someone on a team. You know, when I've had my most success is when I've had that clear picture. So, so that's what I'm trying to do, you know. Um, I probably got a little bit off track there, but, um, you know, for me, I've, I've, that's my goal, um, put two on the next Olympic team. Um, yeah. No, well, mate, you, you made some great points. And for me, just, uh, you know, as, a, as a, an interviewer and as a, a fan of swimming, it's always, and as a coach, um, that's one thing that interests me uh, about you guys and, and what you do at such a high level. I mean, another name that springs to mind is, is Greg Troy over in America, who, I think the last time I spoke to him, he had 68 Olympians that he'd coached and obviously he's gone to Tokyo. So I know we can add more to that. I mean, how does someone who's coached that many swimmers to Olympic games still get up enthusiastic the next day to, to keep doing this? Obviously something, uh, you know, that that's within you guys that, you know, keeps motivating you and pushing you forward. There's obviously um, similar to the great athletes, I guess, something that the great coaches have that, that not everybody has. Yeah, that repeatability, isn't it? Like, um, you know, like Dennis Cottrell and and people like that. Like, um, the, the American college system uh, is great. In, the Gators are in that, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Their numbers come from a, a lot of people coming from Europe and all of that. You know, yeah. that's how they get those those huge numbers. Um, but you know there's definitely um, you, you definitely got to be able to get up you've got to be able to chop wood and haul, um, haul water you know that Chinese proverb um, you've got to be able to do those little things and, and swimmers have got to be able to do them as well um, you know entertain, being an entertaining yeah, entertaining swimmers all the time well, the swimmers probably swimming's probably not actually for them you know there's it, just not enough things that you can do going up and down a black line. And yeah, a lot of the time coaching is, you know, it, it's, it's lonely and boring on your own. And um, it was one of the good things about the AIS is you, you had three or four coaches with you all like-minded, all trying to attain the same thing. You weren't on your own, you know? Mm. Um, 
but you certainly got to have that ability to be able to do the same thing over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I certainly, um, I've, I've got that to a degree. I don't know if I've got it all the way. <laughs> I do get bored. Um, and sometimes I think I've got to repeat myself a bit more in my programming. I'm, uh, you know, but that's just a personal thing. Mm. Um, and, and for me, going to Europe um, really helped me extend my career because yeah. it was just a different thing. Um, so, but um, yeah, absolutely. It, it's funny how often I've said, you know, swimming and coaching run, a swimmer and a coach, they run parallel. What they've got to be good at is so um, similar. It, it's uncanny. So, yeah. Well, and the other, you know, examples that come to mind in terms of that longevity and coaching and success, um, you know, in terms of NRL, rugby league, which I, I'm a fan of. Um, you know, someone like Wayne Bennett or Craig Bellamy who have had, yeah. you know, so many years and genuine still, you can tell, obviously Wayne's probably not happy at the moment with Latrell, but <laughs> genuine, just normally, uh, you know, smiling, enjoying being around the team, still planning his goals and and still, you know, pushing the limits of, of what's, uh, you know, can be achieved is astonishing to me, you know, for someone as a fan who, you know, watches those sort of coaches who have already achieved, there's nothing, you know, there's no, there's all the medals and the trophies are already up there. There's no other accolades that need to go there, but it's more, do you think it's enjoying the process? Well, I think you've got to, yeah, absolutely have to enjoy the process because um, if, if you're only in it for the, the gold medals or, you know, that NRL trophy, I'm, I'm sure, yeah, for me personally, you know, the gold medals are too few and far between um, the, you know, I enjoy the process of trying to make someone swim faster. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think, um, yeah, I can't speak for other people, but I would think that a, a lot of coaches would be the same. Um, the, yeah, the NRL guys, yeah, that, that is, that is week in, week out, isn't it? You know, um, and I was talking to my dad, he's a big domain uh, Tigers fan, so always has been, and um, you know he's always talking about yeah the Belmont, yeah the Tigers season and what they're doing all this and the you know ups and downs. But um, we talked about Bellamy, yeah, because he's just resigned, hasn't he, um, with Melbourne Storm. Yeah, he's going to go on another year. We're really getting off swimming here, but for anyone who's, if you're an NRL fan, you're going to enjoy this. If you're not, I apologise. We'll get back. But yeah, he's uh, he's re-signed for another year in terms of head coach, and then there's he's on for two more years after that. But he may go into more of a you know a, what do you call it like a mentoring role. So they bring in another yeah. coach, and he'll look after him. Yeah, and, and um, yeah, well, I was because um, I think there was a bit of talk about him maybe changing and stuff but yeah you know what bellamy's got is is um he's got um he's got the whole club where he wants it isn't it you know if he went to another club at at his stage in his career it'd be like starting over and um you know, i was talking to my dad about it and stuff and um you know i'll, I'll swing it back to swimming uh <laughs> Back in not for the listeners, not for me, because I love talking yeah. about rugby league, but yeah, for the listeners. 
<laughs> yeah, back in 2001 to 2002, um, I, I didn't have an assistant coach. So I coached the entire club on my own. And um, a couple of people came in and pointed it out. And I, I didn't think that much of it. Scott Volkers was one of them. And he said, geez, you know, like, everyone's just doing what they're supposed to be doing. No one's getting out and running to the toilet and blah, 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 you know. And it was a, I was able to do it because I'd been there since 93. Mm. And, and um, what was accepted and, and you know, behaviour and all of those things was just so ingrained in the club. You know, when new people came in, this is how they behaved, you know. And the same with Bellamy in his um, uh, Melbourne Storm, isn't it? You know, the, yeah. people go in there and next minute they're, they're playing better, you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, but you know, maybe they're behaving better, they're acting more professional, all of those things. The next minute they're playing footy better. And it, it's it's almost like this he's he's got momentum, he's got perpetual um, the the environment is taking care of so many things. Yeah. And I remember that's what I had um, when I was at Chandler. And um, you know, Ken Woods would have had it, you know, Dennis had it. All those programs, you know, when you look at the most successful club programs in Australian swimming, they've all had people there for a, a long time when they started having that success. They, they didn't swap and, you know, sack the coach and, you know, that, the clubs that had three coaches in, in it within the decade, they were never going well, you know. Mm. So you see that in the football as, as well. well. I certainly do. Um, you know, Wayne at the Broncos or Bellamy, Jack Gibson, you know, when back in the, when he was at Parramatta and East before that, and mm. that stability. And, um, you know, I always sort of say, in, you know, it takes three years to get what you want. And what, what you're saying is to get the behaviour that you want. And then the next three years in coaching, you see the hard work of the first three years. And that's certainly what I would think, you know, Bellamy, I remember listening to him in 2007 in Melbourne and um, he talked about, you know, when, you know, one of the advantages, there's, it was a disadvantage, but it was also an advantage. Disadvantage was he, they were in Melbourne and everyone looked, looked at AFL. Um, the advantage was, you know, they didn't have the microscope on them when they go out. But the yeah. rule was when they went out, they all came back together. No one was left behind. And he was able to, you know, no one, and, and, you know, thinking about that, he wouldn't have had someone from Melbourne going out with someone from South. Yeah, no, no. You know, so so he was able to control that behavioural environment easier than what clubs would in the Sydney environment. Yeah, for sure. Definitely team culture plays a massive part, um, you know, to your point, um, and obviously, if you look at those sort of coaches, they they drive a great team culture. We can bring that back to swimming as well. And you look at yeah. the, the top clubs in, in Australian swimming at the moment, they've all got a great team culture. Um, you know, I was talking to Sydney Brown yesterday who, who trains at West Illawarra yeah. um, and a great young talent coming through in New South Wales. And I'm always very, um, 
sitting in admiration, sorry, with West Illawarra. They've always got a great team culture. I see them all warming up and doing their dry land together. They're always happy. And, and James does a great job there. Just bring it back to swimming. But yeah, well, yeah. he certainly does. Yeah. Um, and, and just to your point about, you know, obviously sticking it out and, and making it work um, and going back to, to Greg Troy. And he, he said a great quote on a podcast I did with him, which was, you know, he hears a lot about, oh, the grass is always greener. He's like, well, make your grass greener. What don't yeah. you have? Make that work for you. Change it. Get it happening for you rather than always looking outside to to greener grass because he said, I can assure you it's it's not always there because he's been where he is now uh, for many years. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets back to my point about the coach waiting for that athlete to come along. Mm. No, no, no. Create the environment, you know, and what does what that environment got to look like? Well, what is the goal? What is your goal? And work back from that. If you want Olympic success or you want to put people on Olympic teams, you've got to have that environment. Your daily training environment has got to – someone's got to be able to come out of that daily training environment to be able to get to that Olympic success. So um, if you're constantly looking over the fence, you're not – you're not cutting your grass, are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I brought it back to the beginning. <laughs> that oh, damn grass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, let's have a bit of fun to finish off with. Well, not so much fun, but uh, I guess topical questions that everybody that's listening will, will be able to answer for themselves as well. Um, and I'm going to look after you here and, and not sort of make you uh, have to, you know, choose between your own athletes. So the first question is, what are the best, who are, sorry, the best athletes you've ever gotten to watch live racing that aren't your own? Oh, Michael Phelps. Um, uh, you know, just looking at what he could do and stuff. Who else? Uh, Alex Popov. Um, Sarah Stroestrom. Um, uh, Oh, Kitajima mm. comes to mind. Yeah, Ian Thorpe, you know. Uh, I remember I was on a Singapore camp in 98. Ian was like 15. On a, on a kickboard, he went 29.8. <laughs> 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 I thought he actually did a good job with the um, commentating with some of his, you know, some of his remarks and pointers. You know, I've actually repeated them on Pearl Deck, uh, you know, during the Olympics, I, I thought he did. He, I think it was his first time. I'm not sure if he's done it before. I, I think he, he did it at the Commonwealth Games. Um, I think it was it was very yeah, very articulate. I, I think he yeah. warmed into it. If I'm if I'm going to put my you know hat on yeah, and I, give I thought, a, a critique yeah. about it, I think he started a bit slower. But yeah. I think once he sort of found his feet, um, you know, he was definitely uh, rocking and rolling by the end, doing a great job. Yeah, he had some coaching gems by the end of it. Like, um, yeah, so really good. With those names that you've just mentioned, is there a common theme, do you think? With I mean, some legends of, you know, Kitajima, for, you know, I'm a massive Kitajima fan. I think a name that probably not a lot of people talk about these days because you, you've got Adam Petey going so quick and people don't really, you know, I don't, well, not in conversations that I've had lately anyway, but is there yeah. something that you've, you've seen a common thread between, you know, all of those athletes? Uh, technically very good. Like, like really good. Yeah. Um, you know, the, um, 
you know, when you when you think about them, all different shapes and sizes, you know, um, but technically really good. Um, and you know, when you you know listen to the coach or you talk to the coach, all have done some amazing things in training, you know. And I think that's one of the things um, I, I can certainly say is um, the performance happens before the, everyone sees the performance. So they all um, work hard um, and technically very, very good. Um, and then, you know, all of them could stand up and race, race well. So, mm. you know, probably the three things, the three keys to, to winning. It's funny you mentioned Sarah Shostrom there. She did a, a phenomenal job, I thought, at Tokyo and, a, oh. you know, with what she's just recently been through and, and coming yeah. back, I thought she killed it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was, yeah, I, I, if you had have asked me, I mean, yeah, yeah, none of us know what she couldn't, couldn't do, but you know, if you had a, said, would, would she make, would she win a medal? I said, no. Won't win. <laughs> yeah. And she, what she got, um, was it silver in the 53 at the end? Yeah. 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 Um, but just to be able to swim at that level in Olympic finals, you know, with her, um, and because and, I heard she wasn't going to do the fly, and I thought, well, that's probably because of the, you know, the the elbow with touching the wall, and maybe that's why she could, wasn't going to do the fly. And in the end, she did the fly. Mm. Whether, I don't know whether she changed the arm she turned on or something like that, you know. But um, I heard uh, after the 50 when she got silver, tongue in cheek it was, it wasn't, you know, but she was like, I didn't know Emma McKean would go a fast 50. I thought she was a 200 freestyler. So, ah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was a great race to watch. Uh, mate, what about best coaches you've, you've worked alongside? You, you've been on many, many teams. Um, you've gotten to, to work alongside some of the best. Who are some of your sort of ones that you took a lot away from? Um. Well, I mean, some of these people I've worked with and other people, you know, just seen, you know, on deck and, and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, oh, I've been fortunate to, you know, coach with a lot of good people. Um, but, you know, for ones that stand out, uh, well, Jaco, you know, um, I never had, never worked with him, but yeah, you know, spent enough time to to know that you know this guy is is the real deal. Um, Doug Frost, uh, you know, I've worked with Doug and um, you know, and on and off the deck, very very knowledgeable, very very good, very sound. Um, certainly knows what he's talking about. But um, you know, Dennis Cottrell, uh, Greg Salter, you know, learned a hell of a lot off Greg. Very good technically, um, particularly in free and back. Um, uh, overseas. Um, hmm. American guys, yeah, uh, Eddie Reese, you know, yeah. uh, spent some time with Eddie, haven't coached with him on deck. Uh, other than at swim meets, funny enough, I have, you know, 2003, he was an American team and I was on, you know, the Aussie teams and we actually were just working up and that's how I got to know him. Um, and then in 2016, when he was working for Singapore and I was working for Denmark in Rio, 
which it was almost like deja vu uh, again, um, but re really good, um, Eddie Reese. Um, look, th there's there's others as well. Um, and, and everybody that I've come across, I've learned something from, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that, that's one of the things. Like once you start making um, teams, and and you're repeatedly making teams at that level, you just you're just constantly picking up stuff, um, and that's yeah. You know, so, and then you you just constantly in that international frame of mind. Mm. Um, and I think that's really, um, you know, uh, important. Yeah, you know, if, if you're going to if you're going to compete at that level, you've got to immerse yourself at that level. You know, um, and then you know, Australian coaches is, you know, have it. Well, the guys that I've worked on, you know, um, Vince Vince Rally, you know, very dedicated to coaching and stuff. Uh, Michael just Bowen. on Vince, sorry, mate. Just on Vince. How great was it to see Zach get a gold medal and and you know Vince get that uh, that moment as well? I know I spoke to Zach and he said whilst Vince wasn't doing uh, any big celebrations, he sort of quietly went out the back and had a little moment for himself. It was, must have been you know good you knowing Vince and him getting that moment. Yeah, you know, like like Vince has been around. You know, he was assistant coach to Laurie there in the early days. He went overseas. And um, I was talking with him on on deck, you know, uh, in Cairns, and um, just dedicated to the sport, you know. Like, there's not too many coaches, particularly in Australia, that move around um, to to better their careers and, and to to learn. And, and but Vince is certainly one of them. Um, so for him to to have that success and Vince has been successful in the past yeah but to, to win that individual gold yeah it's a real credit to him and his dedication and you know um you know his wife I think Christine um you know to support him over the years is uh you know a real credit um and then you know Michael Bowl I've been on you know many teams with Michael and uh yeah, he's really relaxed. Um, he's, uh, you know, probably a good poker player, you know, so uh, <laughs> keeps his cards close to his chest. You know, so that's why he's been able to have repeated success, you know. Mm. And um, so uh, the other guys on the team, you know, apart from Rowan, I've been on plenty of teams with Rowan, um, and Rowan's a very good thinker, good coach. But the other guys I haven't coached with on deck but um but uh yeah australia's at the moment is is blessed with a lot of good coaches uh and that may change though certainly if you're looking between now and 2032 um we certainly need uh, a new uh, a new influx of, of a next generation of coaches coming through yeah. Um, just on Michael, you know, when I was up on the Gold Coast for Age Nationals, I know I'd had a chat with him for the podcast, but that's about the only interaction we'd had. And standing there, I was having a coffee, doing a warm up, and he was standing there, and we just started chatting. We ended up chatting for about 20 minutes and talking about my week. And he wanted to know how my swimmers were going, and he was giving me some feedback. And 
brilliant man. And I think it's a, a testament to, to Michael and, you know, the sort of guy that he is to take the time to have a chat to me. Like I was only, I think I only had five swimmers at nationals and they weren't finaling. So it's not as if uh, I was any sort of, uh, you know, big wig coach, but um, he was definitely very, you know, generous with his time. And as I said, I think it's a, a testament to, to him as, and his character. Yeah. And Bolly's always been like that, you know, before I, when I first started coaching and I was working in the Valley Pool as um, a lifeguard during the day in between sessions and stuff. And, and I swam with Scott and, um, and, uh, and Michael, uh, Michael Bowl and, and Scott Volgers were the Queensland directors of coaching at the time. And they were both coaching out of the Valley Pool there. And um, so I was always around and, you know, I can remember going up for lunch um, in, in in the valley there and, and Bowley talking to me about coaching and stuff like that. So he's always had plenty of time and, and it's, you know, I was a Neville no one, you know, and um, it, so it doesn't, with Bowley, it doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. You know, he's always got plenty of time for people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mate, what about uh, your favourite race to go back and re-watch that isn't your own athlete? So that's why I keep taking that away because I don't want to – I'm trying to keep you out of being, you know, thrown under the bus to, you know, have to pick between your own athletes and stuff like that. So what's your favourite race? If I said, you know, you're going to go on YouTube today and, and go back and re-watch a race, what, what, what would be your go-to? That's a good one. Um. Like, yeah, what, what, since I've been coaching or since I was a kid? Yeah, no, just since, yeah, just since you're a kid. So I like, oh, for me, obviously I grew up in, in a time where, you know, the 2000 Olympics was just, it was just the biggest thing going around. So for me, it's the four by one uh, freestyle relay. Um, obviously it's at the, the beginning of my show. So everyone knows how much I, the commentary is at the beginning of the podcast. So everyone knows how much I love it. What, what's your sort of one that when you, you think back, you sort of get a bit of a smile on your face and you're like, yeah, that's a, that's a good memory. Um, the one that comes to mind that I would, yeah, like you talk about Dean Boxall. When I did a Dean Boxall, in, in, yeah, I was a kid, like, and I just screamed at the TV. Um, and it was Duncan Armstrong's 200 freestyle in 1988. Because mm. yeah, I trained at Chandler and, and Duncan. He's older than me, but he was training with Laurie. And I can remember him, you know, yeah, we'd be the last two getting picked up. And, you know, he'd, he'd always have something to say. And, you know, he's a nice guy and stuff. And, but yeah, he wasn't a superstar coming through either, you know. And um, yeah, I remember that race. Um, I was just screaming at the TV in that last fifty when he was coming over the top of Matt Biondi. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what was so great about Dean's reaction uh, in Tokyo was it wasn't just Dean's. Like every everybody in their house in a, in Australia was was up and standing and getting animated. It's just, you know, the cameras were, happened to be on him in the stands. I'm sure if there was cameras in our lounge rooms, everybody would have seen the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, um, it's, uh, I mean, a lot of Australia was in lockdown too at the time, wasn't it? So it was sort yeah. of, you know, that, that's been the other hard thing about lockdown. It's, 
we need another Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I think, yeah, that was a great race. It was fantastic. The execution was really, really good. And um, yeah, definitely there would have been a, a lot of people doing uh, um, impersonating me at 16 years of age back in 88. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about, mate? You seem like you're a bit of a, a study on other sports as well and just, you know, picking the eyes out of other things that can help you as a coach and, and you know, our sport of swimming. What's your favourite non-swimming athlete of all time? Is there an athlete that you've admired from afar that, you you know, you just looked at and like, God damn. Oh, another good question. Um, athletics, you know, um, really uh, got a lot of people in athletics that I like. Um, uh, what's her name? Felix. Um, Alison Felix. Yeah, like, so it, I really, really enjoyed watching athletics. I, I thought... You know, the number of Australians that were in finals um, was fantastic and mm. really interesting. Alison Felix, you know, she's like, I think she was about 38 in Tokyo. She'd had a 37 or 38, had a baby uh, since Rio. She's won an individual medal um, in like the two or the four at every Olympics since 04, I think. Wow. And she won her 11th Olympic medal. And, like, I, I can't off the top of my head remember which ones she'd won, but she's won, like, you know, she might have five gold and 11 in total now. Um, and she won a minor medal in the 400, and then she won another medal, which was a 10th medal. So Alison Felix, um, I think that's a fantastic achievement mm. um, for... Yeah, you, know, you know, women in sport and um, to be able to, you know, to be a mother and, and to do that and that longevity um, over the years, that sort of stuff. You know, um, I'm big into motor racing. Michael Schumacher, um, mm-hmm. he, he's the guy who got me into Formula One. Um, and what I loved, and, you know, when you've read into and you look at Michael Schumacher, like, he wasn't a guy like he was at, um, you know, the top of the tree, won two world championships with Benetton. And then he goes to Ferrari and they're a middle, they're, they're a middle team, you know, they're, they're like fifth or sixth. And he, and he develops that team, you know, um, and he creates a team around him. Yep. that Schumacher would do very, very well. And, and, you know, work hard at the little things. That's what I took away. And, and back then, that was me in the 90s. Um, so I, I used to look at that and how could I apply that to my coaching mm. um, to create, have, have a network of people around me and then to be working on the details. So that he, was, he was quite influential um, in my early days of coaching um, outside of, of a swimming person. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like um, Sebastian Coe, um, yeah, I've read his books, The Winning Mind. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, talks a lot about how they won the, um, you know, the 2012 Olympics and the, all the things that he put in place and the team around him. Um, 
but he, he in the book he reflects back to his own athletics days, and he also then reflects about his his dad who coached him, uh, and the things that they used to do, like the level of detail. So his father coached him, but in his development years, while he was still growing and stuff, his father would um, train him uh, uphill. So they'd do hill sprint type stuff, or or they'd run. Um, yeah, there's these some forest or woods uh, near Sheffield, and that, and they would do all their running and and um, work so that he wasn't getting the the bad impact of of the um, flat running all the time. Mm. And then the other thing that they did was they would run at late at night, so they he didn't want him to be running on the wrong camber of the road, so he'd run him late at night. So he could run in the middle of the road where it was flatter. Yeah. I mean, you know, we think about like, so he's, you know, coaching his 14 year old son, thinking about what he's trying to create. So he could go and, you know, the 1980 and, and, you know, you read the book and it's 1970 something, 72 or something. And his father's thinking, I don't want to create poor technique. Mm, Long term. Running on the side of the road where the camber is different for each leg. Like that's, that's impressive. <laughs> well, yeah, circles back to, I guess, you know, what we've spent a lot of this chat talking about, isn't it? Long-term athlete development and planning for the future and not going yeah. for those shortcuts to, to yeah. you know, to get the gains now. And um, absolutely, mate. And definitely seems like you're a very good study on books, mate. Do you like reading? No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, great answer, mate. Great answer. Uh, mate, it's a, that's a perfect way to, to finish us off today. Uh, I want to uh, thank you, mate. We've talked for, for two hours and I'm definitely going to cut this up into a, a couple of one hour um, episodes, but thank you very much for coming on um, the show and having a chat with us. And for all the listeners out there, um, this is definitely the reason uh, you know, I wanted to have a chat with uh, Shannon today. It's not just for his uh, comedic um, value and, and giving us his one-liners, but just just the mind and the knowledge that he has. And as I've said uh, on here, mate, I, I get to. I'm fortunate enough that you you allow me to spend some time with you as well and and pick your brain. Uh, and now everybody listening has had um, you know a couple of hours to be able to to delve into that mind. It's funny we started talking about reverse periodization, but I really feel like we. We covered a lot of topics, um, and and I, I really enjoyed it. Though I, I, you know, it's perfect for me. I was actually looking to another coffee just to sit down and keep chatting. So, but mate, thank you very much for coming on uh, for a chat. Um, as I said, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, all the young New South Wales coaches, especially that I talk to, are, are big fans of yours, and and you know, they definitely uh, appreciate the the time that you donate and the information that you give them is definitely appreciated. So I know you spoke about before helping New South Wales, you know, start to to make that shift over the next three years, and I definitely think whether you know it or not, you're uh, you know definitely contributing to that in a big way. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Robbie. All we can do is our best and and just keep trying to move forward. And keep reading books. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, mate. No worries. My pleasure. See you next time, mate. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you by our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. Thank you all once again for downloading the show today. Your continued support is always 
appreciate it. And don't forget to check out our other weekly podcast, the OTB Crew Podcast, where I'm joined each week by Lani Pallister, Lachlan Carter, and Josh Edward-Smith. We talk a whole lot of swimming. The crew give their own unique insider perspective on what's going on in the world of swimming, as well as special guest Olympians joining the show for some fun. We also talk music, movies, other sports, and generally just have a good laugh. If you're looking for a fresh swimming podcast with a bit of mainstream twist to it, this is definitely the one for you. Join us every Thursday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for all the fun. I just want to be with you.